The Semantic War by Bill Clothier. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Matt Perard. The Semantic War by Bill Clothier. Perhaps there have been causes for slaughter just as silly as this was, but try to find one. The rain pours down, chill, out of a sullen sky. My pace quickens as I try to regain the relative warmth and shelter of the cavern before I become thoroughly drenched. I cannot afford to catch a cold. All alone as I am, and with no medicine, I would stand too great a chance of a quick death. These lowering Oregon skies still hold traces of nameless disease in their writhing cloud tendrils i am not just afraid of a cold that would only be the key for some other malady to use and strike me down forever i see the cave up ahead and feel a sense of contentment as i draw near and then duck inside its stony mouth the rain hisses without but inside it is dry there is a heavy cowhide hanging on a peg in the wall and i take it down and wrap it around me soon i will be warm once more i may stave off my ultimate end sometimes i wonder why i wish to put it off certainly according to my old standards there is no point in living but somehow i feel that the mere fact of living is justification in itself even for such a life as mine i didn't always feel this way but then my circumstances change and people change with them i changed my circumstances more than myself but i had no alternative so now i exist i suppose i should be content after all i am alive and in my own simple way i enjoy life i can remember people who ask nothing more than to be allowed to live to exist ironically enough i always considered them subnormal i felt that a man should strive to do something that would not only perpetuate the happiness of his own life but that of his fellow-men something that would make life more beautiful and easier and more kind it was with this feeling that i applied myself as a student of philosophy at stanford university and the strengthening of this same belief led me to take up teaching and embrace it as the only way of obtaining genuine happiness my personal philosophy was simple i would learn about life in all its real and symbolic meanings and then teach it to my pupils each of whom i felt sure were thirsting for the knowledge that i was extracting from my cultural environment i would show them the meaning behind things that i felt was the key to successful living now it seems strangely pathetic that i should have essayed such an impossible task but even a professor of philosophy can be mistaken and become confused i remember when i first became aware of the movement for years we had been drilling certain precepts into the soft impressionable heads of those students who came under our influence liberalism some called it the right to take the values accumulated by society over a period of hundreds of years and bend them to fit whatever idea 
or act was contemplated by such methods it was possible to fit the mores to the deed and not the deed to the mores oh it was a wonderful theory one that promised to project all human activities entirely beyond good and evil however i digress it was a spring morning at berkeley california when i had my first inkling of the movement i was sitting in my office gazing out the window and considering life in my usual contemplative fashion i might say i was being rather smug i was thinking how fortunate i was to have been graduated from stanford with such high honors and how my good luck had stayed with me until i received my doctor's degree in a famous eastern university and came out to take an associate professorship at the berkeley campus i was watching the hurrying figures below on the crosswalks and idly noting the brilliant green of the shrubbery and the trees and the lawn i was mixing up keats with a bit of philosophy and thoroughly enjoying myself knowledge is truth truth beauty i mused that is all we know on earth and all we need to know there was a knock on my door and i said come in reluctantly abandoning my train of thought which had just picked up shakespeare whom i was going to consider as two-thirds philosopher and one-third poet i have never felt that the field of literature had the sole claim to shakespeare's greatness professor lilith came in visibly perturbed lilith was a somewhat erratic individual for a professor at least and he was often perturbed once he became excited about the possibilities of the campus shrubbery being stunted and discolored by the actions of certain dogs living on campus he was not a philosophy professor of course but a member of the political science group carlson he asked nervously have you heard about it yet i have no idea i returned good-naturedly heard about what he looked behind him as if he thought he might be followed then he whirled around his sharp-featured face alight with feeling carlson the wistic dufels the moratti and he stared at me intently his gimlet eyes almost blazing i stared back at him blankly you haven't heard he exclaimed i thought surely you would know about it you're always talking about freedom to apply thought for the good of humanity well we're finally going to do something about it you'll see keep your ears open carlson and then he turned and started out of the room he paused at the threshold and fixed me again with his ferret-like eyes the wistic of fells the morality he said and vanished through the door and that was my first unheeded omen of what was to come i paid little attention to it lilith wasn't the sort of man who inspired attention as a matter of fact i considered reporting him to the head of his department as being on the verge of a nervous breakdown but i didn't in those days nervous breakdowns were a common occurrence around college campuses the educational profession was a very hazardous occupation one southern university for example reported five faculty suicides during spring quarter in the days that followed however i began to realize that there was some sort of movement being fostered by the student body 
it couldn't be defined but it could be felt and seen the students began to form groups and hold meetings often without official sanction what they were about could not be discovered but some of the results soon became evident for one thing certain students began to walk on one side of the street and the other students walked on the other side the ones who used the north side of the street wore green sweaters with white trousers or skirts and the south side students wore white sweaters with green trousers or skirts it even got to the point where those in green sweaters went only to classes in the morning and those in white attended the afternoon sessions then the little white cards began to appear they were sent through the mail they were slipped under doorways and in desk drawers they turned up beside your plate at dinner and under your pillow at night they were pasted on your front door in the morning and they appeared in the fly-leaves of your books they were even hung on trees like fruit and surely no fruit ever spored so queer a seedling they said either one thing or the other the wistic dufels the moratti or the moratti dufels the wistic which card belonged to what group was not immediately clear it was not until the riots broke out that the thing began to be seen in its proper perspective and then it was too late when the first riot started it was assumed that the university officials and the police could quell it in a very short time but strangely enough as additional police were called in the battle raged even more fiercely i could see part of the affair from my window and therefore was able to understand why the increasing police force only added to the turmoil they were fighting one another and through the din could be heard the wild shouts of the wistic dufels the moratti or the moratti dufels the wistic the final blow came when i saw the registrar and the dean of men struggling fiercely in one of the hedgerows and heard the dean of men yell in wild exultation as he brought a briefcase down on the registrar's head the wisting dufels the moratti then someone broke in through the door of my office i turned in alarm and saw a huge three-letter man standing only a few feet from me he had been in one of my classes i remembered something about his being the hardest driving fullback on the pacific coast he was certainly the dumbest philosophy student i ever flunked his hair was mussed and he was wild-eyed he had blood on his face and chest and his clothes were torn and grass-stained the wistic dufels the moretti he said get out of my office i told him coldly and stay out so you're on the other side he snarled i hoped you would be he started toward me and i seized a bookend on my desk and tried to strike him with it but he brushed it aside and came on in his first blow nearly broke my arm and as i dropped my guard due to the numbing pain he struck me solidly on the side of the jaw when i recovered consciousness i was lying by the side of my desk where i had fallen my head ached and my neck was stiff i got painfully to my feet and then noticed the big square of cardboard pinned to the door of my office it was lettered in red pencil and in past tense said the wistic dufeld the moratti the uprisings arose spontaneously in all parts of the country 
they were not confined to colleges they were not confined to any particular group they encompassed nearly the entire population and the fervor aroused by their battle cry whichever one it might be was beyond all comprehension i could not understand either slogan's meaning and there were others like myself on several occasions i attempted to find out but i was beaten twice and threatened with a pistol the third time so i gave up all such efforts i was never much given to any sort of physical violence one night i went home thoroughly disheartened by the state of affairs the university was hardly functioning nearly the entire faculty including the college president had been drawn into one camp or the other their actions were utterly abhorrent to me if the professor was a green top or a rustician he lectured only to green tops if he belonged to the moradians or white top faction they were the only ones who could enter his classroom the two groups were so evenly divided that open violence was frowned upon as a means of attaining whatever end they had in view they were biding their time and gathering strength for fresh onslaughts on each other as i say i went home feeling very discouraged my wife was in the kitchen preparing dinner and i went in and sat down at the table while she worked the daily paper was lying on the table its headlines loaded with stories of bloodshed and strife throughout the nation i glanced through them lately there seemed to be a sort of pattern forming east of the mississippi the general slogan was emerging as the moradi defelling the wistic west of the mississippi the wistic was receiving the greater support and it seemed that the younger people and the women preferred the moradi while elderly people and most men were on the side of the wistic i commented on this my wife answered briefly of course anyone should know that the moradi will win out she went on with the preparations for dinner not looking at me i sat stunned for a moment great god in heaven not my wife am i to understand that you are taking any part of this seriously i asked with some heat the whole thing is a horrible pointless prank she turned and faced me squarely not to me i say the moradi will win out i wanted to and i think you'd be wise to get on the bandwagon while there's still time i realized she was serious dead serious i tried a cautious query just what does the dufellation of the wistic by the moradi mean and it made her angry it actually made her angry she swished off the front burner and walked past me into the living room i didn't think she was going to answer but she did sort of there is no excuse for an egghead in your position not knowing what it means her voice was strained and tense if you had any perception whatever you would understand what the moradi has to give the american people it's our only hope and you've got to take sides you're either for the moradi or the wistic you can't take the middle way i felt completely isolated wait i don't know what it means forget it she broke in i should have known you were born you have lived and you will die an egghead in an ivory tower just remember the moradi dufels the westing 
and she swept on upstairs to pack and out of my life and that's the way it was whatever malignant poison had seeped into the collective brain of the nation it was certainly a devastating leveler of all sorts of institutions and values wives left husbands and husbands left wives joint bank accounts vanished families disintegrated wall street crumpled developments were swift and ominous the army split up into various groups most of the enlisted men favored the moratti but the officers and older non-coms pledged the Wistikian faith their power was sufficient to hold many in line but a considerable number in the lower ranks deserted and joined forces with the moradians who held the eastern half of the country the wistics ruled the western half with an iron hand and all signs pointed toward civil war labor and military authorities conscripted the entire population regardless of age sex or religious convictions for my own part i slipped away from the campus and fled north into the oregon mountains it was not that i was afraid to fight but i rebelled at the absolute stupidity of the whole thing the idea fighting because of a few words but they did the destruction was frightful however it was not as bad as many had thought it would be the forces of the wistic leveled the city of new york true but it took three h-bombs to do the job instead of one as the air force had claimed in retaliation san francisco and los angeles were destroyed in a single night by cleverly placed atom-bombs smuggled in by a number of fifth columnist wives who gained access to the cities under the pretext of returning to their husbands this was a great victory for the moradians even though the women had to blow themselves up to accomplish their mission the moradian forces were slowly beaten back toward the atlantic shores they were very cunning fighters and they had youthful courage to implement that cunning but their overall policy lacked the stability and long-range thinking necessary to the prosecution of total war one day they might overrun many populous areas and the next day due to the constant bickering and quarrelling among their own armies they would lose all they had won and more too finally in desperation they loosed their most horrible weapon germ warfare but they forgot to protect themselves against their own malignity the semantic war ground to a shuddering halt the carrion smell of death lay round the world the dufellation of the wistic and the moratti so here i am scuttling around in the forest like a lonely pack-rat it is not the sort of life i would choose if there were any other choice yet life has become very simple i enjoy the simple things and i enjoy them with gusto when i find food that suits my stomach i am happy when i quench my thirst i am happy when i see a beautiful sunset from one of my mountain crags i am happy it takes little when you have little and there have been few men who have had less only one thing troubles me i suppose it doesn't matter but i go on wondering i wonder which side was right i mean really right end of the semantic war by bill clothier